Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of The Convo Episode number 7 I think it is uh, Thank you very much for joining us this evening Whether that is by watching us or tuning in to our uh, podcast audio Thank you very much for your uh, for tuning in We've got for you tonight the opportunity to transport yourself Figuratively speaking To the mountainous regions of the Caucasus Or to northeast Africa or both, as we look at the issues of Azerbaijan and Armenia, who are um, find themselves uh, in a serious conflict. Um, and of course, uh, as we look at the other issue that has been making the news in the last couple of weeks, where a majority, 97% majority Muslim country is hailing um, the fact that Islam is no longer a state religion as a success. So stay tuned with us as we explore these two issues. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers and sisters. Um, so yeah, as Sufyan uh, has mentioned, we're going to be talking about two uh, recent issues that have been occupying the headlines uh, in various degrees over the past couple of days and weeks. One being, uh, this one being more recent, the Azerbaijan and Armenia conflict and the vast sort of interests that present themselves within that. Um, as well as issues occurring in Sudan as well. And that interestingly actually ties in with our previous podcast, which was the um, uh, UAE-Israel deal and all the sort of the politicking and the ramifications of that as well. But let's begin, inshallah, uh, with the conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Mm. So first off, um, we can talk about how Okay, let's talk about what it's actually over. Yeah, why is it a talking point? Well, the main talking point is a difficult, for me anyway, to pronounce area, which is called Nagorno-Karabakh. Karabakh. Let's anglicize it. it, keep it simple. Thanks for saving me there. Nagorno-Karabakh. Karabakh. Let's just go nice and Anglo there. Um, but yeah, this, this region, which is geographically located smack bang, not right in the middle of Azerbaijan, towards a bit of the east side of it, but it's entirely landlocked by Azerbaijan um, but it's been claimed by Armenia and claimed by Azerbaijan and has sort of switched and oscillated between them at various times um, throughout recent history um, and the flare-up, the recent flare-up uh, which only occurred I think it was last weekend um, and has resulted in I think they're saying a few dozen casualties at this stage but threatening to blow into a more full-scale conflict and um, that's at the heart of it this particularly disputed territory mm. um, yeah and I think uh, it's an important discussion point because um, at last count uh, I think it's probably more than this now but 31 mm. um, soldiers and five civilians yeah um, I've read about 60 or so so yeah, it's so increasing steadily it is increasing steadily 
and both countries have declared themselves in a state of martial law. So obviously, um, look, that's not, I think, in the history of this region and in the history of these two countries, that's not, that itself is not something new. They've had several occasions in the past, 2016 being the last one, where they've declared Armenia and Azerbaijan have both declared states of emergency, yep, that's right. states of martial law, and then they've sort of moved back into it, um, where they realized that this can't actually move anywhere. And I think a lot of the commentary from political commentators, um, analysts around the world has been, is there something that's making this particular iteration of the conflict different to those that have come before it? I think um, what do you think about that? It's an interesting question to explore because for me, frankly, it looks like a continuation. Um, and yeah, look, there are there are international um, sort of angles that could come into play mm. here. But I don't know. I kind of see it as an ongoing, continuing thing. And then, like, for example, the, um, the leader of Azerbaijan, Ilham Aliyev, uh, again, nice and anglicized pronunciation there. Yep. Um, apparently, he's been under internal pressure to try and enact some kind of big changes, big moves politically to sort of um, consolidate his support base. So doing something like this seems to play into that. Yep. Um, whilst Armenia sees it as sort of another flashpoint issue as well. So, look, I, I kind of see it more as a continuation. Yep. Um, but there are some interesting international dynamics can I, at play. Can, I, can, can we just talk about the region a little bit? Yeah, all right, let's go. So we're talking about the Caucasus, yep. this area with the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, we've got Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia. This has been a region that's been riddled with conflict. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is, what do we know about the region and why is it uh, a region of conflict in your, from what you know? Like from the very basics of it, what's going on in the area? I mean, what are some of the conflicts of the area? I think it's it's just geographically where it's located is like a flashpoint and sort of a central hub yep. around which there's these major powers. You've got the Middle East, you've got Russia, you've got Europe, yep. right? And you've got far away over here, you've got America, right? But of obviously course. they want a piece of the pie as well. But that central area is like a conduit between. And so whoever controls that will have significant say, significant and it's so true in the because region they've itself. got a energy is a major yeah, huge, a huge, major huge. factor in that area they're consistently discovering um gas yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and oil in the area and then in line with that they're then um opening new pipelines every yeah. couple of decades you've got the btc uh pipeline and there's another couple of there's long names to them in <laughs> local languages so i'm not gonna pretend to know the names of the pipelines but they've got these pipelines that are trying to connect countries and regions that weren't formally connected up to other regions like uh for example azerbaijan trying to connect itself with europe azerbaijan trying to connect itself with um with turkey and trying to get rid of its connections with moscow for example yeah. um so yeah it is a region that is full of natural resources it is very strategically important it's got a number of important pipelines um, um and of course because of that there's a constant right whether it's the eastern caucasus or the northern caucasus there's there's a whole um yeah. There's a whole area that, that is full of resources and it's constantly sort of sparring up with conflict. I think the other thing to consider as well, apart from energy, is the very real sort of ethnic and historical yeah. tensions as well. There was a very good article I read about um, this entire issue, which just 
centralized this whole issue of identity to mm. it. Mm. Um, and you can really see how it becomes a deeply motivational factor in sort of both sides in approaching this issue. And you really can equate it in some instances to issues like the Kashmir issue. Mm. But it really does, does become a core part of identity for a particular people. Mm. Now, the area is located within Azerbaijan and has been declared by the international community, whatever that is, right, as Azeri. Yep. It belongs to them. Yep. Yet, you know, in the mid-1990s, you had Armenia come in and effectively say, no, sorry, this is ours because mm. we've got a majority Armenian population here. Yes, it might be in your country, but we're going to take it. And think, since then, have effectively you nailed had it when you said it's kind of like Kashmir because I think it's um, the Soviet Union yeah. when it breaks down, it's the one that sort of determines here who gets what piece yeah, of yeah, cake, yeah. right? And it's giving a um, it's giving a Christian majority area to a Muslim yeah. majority but country. What a hallmark of divide and conquer Absolutely. that is, right? Like Absolutely. even if you look at Syria or Lebanon or any of these sort of many of these Middle Eastern nations where you'll have uh, people who represent small ethnic minorities put in major leadership positions mm -hmm. just to make sure there's sufficient amount of discord in that country for others to continually jump in there and try and dictate. And, you know, if you, if you look at, um, there's a particular council, I've got the name here, it's called the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, Minsk Group, which is chaired by yep. France, Russia, America. Yep. Like that really tells you right, who are the players here I, and who have the interests. I was going to mention when we, we've got a couple of um, snippets of interviews of stuff that people have said because it's a conflict and you know everyone's concerned. Well, not necessarily concerned about the situation, about the rising death toll or about the fact that this could boil over into a major conflict. But I think more concerned about what piece of cake they're going to get yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know are they going to have their men uh on the ground in the right positions when you know they're going when 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 uh, it gets to crunch time but um uh, we was going to sort of show some clips and macron comes out and sort of you know yeah, like yeah, he yeah. did with beirut yep, yep. um he comes out and sort of makes a nice declaration about how this is under democratic and this is the best in the best interest of blah 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 this is what we should have <laughs> um and you're still thinking there how how why are you talking azerbaijan <laughs> armenia why, why are you, are you again, even bro? talking okay <laughs> lebanon i kind of got it but you know they sort of preempt it because you're thinking what in the world and then you think okay there's this mids group yeah, and yeah. it's got them and they must have spoken to their people somewhere and made sure that this council is set up right um because they have to have a say in in obviously in everything everything that happens course, everywhere around the world um so it works but yeah, so we've got you. You know, we might even just we might even play that because I think it'll be a good cue to um, let's have a look at what the French uh, president Macron had to say about this. This is the French president Emmanuel Macron. I have noted Turkey's declarations, which I think are ill-considered and dangerous. And I say this particularly with regard to Armenia, France within the Minsk group in its role, which presupposes the impartiality that justifies my prudence remains extremely concerned about the warlike messages that Turkey has sent these last few hours. Did you, did we catch those words he said there? Yeah. So he was saying the fact that he actually had to say in his statement why 
he has a right to speak. He says, <laughs> because France is part of the Minsk group, which justifies my commentary, and it justifies my prudence in the matter as well, right? <laughs> um, he, he knows he hasn't got a place here to, to talk about it. But interestingly, he mentioned Turkey. Yes, very interesting. I think that's where it gets a little interesting. There's been, um, well, not even overtures. There's been straight out talk from... <laughs> Sorry, go uh, on. Go on. <laughs> Threw me off there. There's been straight talk from Ankara mm. saying that we are with... Azerbaijan, mm. and in fact, the uh, what was his name? I can't remember. The previous leader of um, of Azerbaijan used to talk about uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan being one nation, two countries, something along those lines. They're both mm. of Turkic background, share yeah. similarities in language, culture, history, and so forth. Um, so Turkey has come out strong, very strong, yeah, um, in support of Azerbaijan and against Armenia. But that's got a whole other dimension to it as well, which is the alleged Armenian genocide, right? And mm. Armenia has that consistent issue with Turkey. And, and there is no love whatsoever between Armenia and Turkey, primarily on that basis. So now if Armenia is going to have an issue with Azerbaijan, right, then Turkey is going to side with Azerbaijan. And it has very, very, very openly, strongly, very, very strongly. openly. Although there have been reports where Armenia has said that Turkey has shot down Armenian jets, which Turkey has flat out denied. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, to me, it kind of seems like they'll, they'll jump in, they'll put their foot in the water, but might not dive in entirely just yet. It mm -hmm. seems like they might be just scoping out how things go because if they jump in full scale, they may have to deal with Russia as well, mm. which in this issue is backing Armenia. Mm. Um, although considering that both were historically part of the Soviet Union, um, Russia's got pretty close ties with both Azerbaijan and Armenia. But in this situation, and some seems sources to be going were suggesting the, that Russia actually um, is responsible for funding the military infrastructure of both countries. Yeah. yeah I'll, I mean, you signed. That's a pretty neat uh, military contract you've signed up, where you're selling your infrastructure to both countries. Say, you know, I'll fund you and I'll fund you as well. Um, and and it, it's interesting because now there's several layers here. Like, if you want to look at it as like a concentric circle, this is how I sort of when I was reading, I realized, you know what? There's a local, there's a local analysis here, which is what's going on between Armenia and Azerbaijan. There's an an, an inner circle. Uh, or just an outer circle outside of that. Is it an inner circle? It's or an, an outer, outer circle, circle because yeah, the, inner, the, other, the inner one is the local <laughs> circle, which which um, sort of outlines the parameters between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Yes. There's an outer circle, which is um, the fact that it's a regional conflict. Yes, so, yes, for sure. so, but so if you're saying uh, Azerbaijan is supported by Turkey because they're historically anti-Armenia um, and vice versa, then well, Russia is backing Armenia. Right, so there's a seems to be a regional conflict, but of course, who's knocking on that out, outer outer circle, which is the international analysis? An inner circle, an outer circle, and an outer outer circle. There's three circles. Is it's it not too hard to inner, follow. Inner I hope circle? no. So there's three circles: a, a local conflict, a regional conflict, yeah. and an international yeah, conflict. Yeah. Right. So think of three concentric circles. Let's just drop the circle business. Right. There's a local, a regional, and an international conflict. Could we call them and spheres? I think we can call. Spheres, or we can call them ellipses, or we can call them whatever you want. Um, right, let's not get too technical. Um, and I think in the, I think what would be really good if we could try and establish what's what's the connection between the local and the international. Yeah. If there's a connection there, and, and that's where the real sort of political depth comes in mm. the issue. Um, and look, I, I don't think it would at all be amiss to say that the United States is 
involved obviously as part of the group the minsk group they are already They're involved, involved directly involved and so is france but we got to understand that america russia mm. they might work together on some issues in some limited capacities but by and large america wants to undermine russia russia wants to undermine america mm. right so you can assume that whichever side russia's on america would be on the other and yep. in this issue that could well mean that they could be pushing in some kind of back room and uh, sort of dark corridors of power way azerbaijan mm. uh, could be the case no absolutely um and 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 maybe let's have a look at um let's have a look at uh, this quote from the uh, prime minister of azerbaijan um there's a couple of quotes here the first one is that we have um, I'll just show you as well. I don't think you can see the screen there. It says, we have only one condition. Armenian troops must leave our lands unconditionally, completely and immediately. Yeah. So it's coming out with very unequivocal but, yeah, sort yeah, of th That's really interesting though, language. because since the mid-1990s, they've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been there since the mid-1990s. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Yeah, and the very first question that came to my mind when I was reading these articles was, was that, what is so different about it now? Yeah, like exactly. it's such a long-standing conflict. What is with this unequivocal language? He's got his fist pump going on as well. Uh, he yeah. said, "Look, I'm going to sit on this bench here. Just need you to take a photo of this." Right, guys, take a photo. I want to do pump. the fist pump. And they're like, uh, "Buddy, look, it's been going on for 30 years. Are you sure you want to pull out the fist pump? <laughs> you know, it's going to raise questions." So he's pulled out the fist so pump. Here we are on the convo, asking those critical critical questions, questions of what, what, <laughs> buddy. Why would you go with the fist pump? It's been 30 years. Anyway, <laughs> but I got to say, the facial expression is not nearly emphatic enough <laughs> to match the. <laughs> he looks like he got out of bed, and someone said, "Hey, bro." <laughs> to be honest, the fist pump doesn't look particularly ferocious either. Yeah. It's just like, can you still fist? Can you still clench your fist? And he's like, yeah, man, look. Anyway, let's move on. Um, the second part of this quote, he says, let's have a look here. This he still got the oh, fist God, all right. pump. Let's just ignore that part, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he goes, this condition remains in force. If the Armenian government meets this condition, the fighting will stop and blood will not be shed. So saying, okay, in the interest of all involved parties here, you want to stop the bloodshed, you need to pack up, you need to leave, right? Yeah. You're, you're, and it's not, it's not diplomatic language. It's not like, okay, let's bring it to the negotiation yeah, table. Yeah, let's very, talk about this. It's, right? It's very blunt force. And, and just on that, uh, let's have a look at what um, the, how is the um, Prime Minister of, um, Armenia responding to Nikol this. Pashinyan, right? Let's, let's have a look at what he has to say. On Russian state TV. Armenia and the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh are now exposed to a direct threat from Turkey. According to our data, Turkey is looking for a pretext to intervene even more broadly in this conflict. Yeah, so, so he's coming out and saying, you know what? It's the same sort of thing as Macron. They've come out strong yeah. against Turkey. And, you know, before we just finalize, sort of finish off with some analysis, let's have a listen to, let's give some time to this guy as well. Or for Azerbaijan. This was from Monday. The time has come for the crisis in the region that started with the occupation of Nagorno-Karabakh to be put to an end. Once Armenia immediately leaves the territory it is occupying, the region will return to peace and harmony. Yeah, so he doesn't sort of, he doesn't um, give any room for anyone who might have any misgivings about Turkey's involvement, supporting, right? 
No, he actually comes out strong and says, yeah. Armenia's got to leave. Yeah, Armenia is the one at fault. Armenia's got to leave. Get out of here. France comes out strong saying, Turkey really needs to calm down with its language. Yeah. So there's that. Azerbaijan and, and Armenia's got an issue, okay? They've both got this territorial dispute similar to Kashmir. Yep, yep. Um, the, in the regional area, we've got uh, Russia and we've got uh, Turkey involved. And, and and I just want to see if we can maybe have a chat about the link. Like, what kind Appa of connection do you see between the local and the global? Look, before I get to that, apparently even um, it's unverified, um, but some there's been some reports of Turkey actually pushing uh, troops from Syria or Syrian rebels and fighters and um, actually getting them to move mm. into the region mm. um, to try and support Azerbaijan there as well. But... Um, yeah, so with regards to the involvement of uh, Turkey and all these other powers, it just, for me, it, it all comes back down to the original shaping of the region. Mm. Like, it's very, very odd to, within a country, like, we should chuck up a map there of the region. Yep. Um, but that Nagorno-Karabakh region, it's like, it's landlocked it by Azerbaijan. Now, you'd imagine that if that's a majority Armenian population, then the way that post-Soviet Union things could have been arranged would have been to keep that with a But it's been done deliberately mm. in a way to make sure there's consistently political problems in that region. And then these powers can come in and try to dictate play and try to sort of score whatever they want out of it and get whichever part yep. of the pie. Yep. Um, that they want but i also i'd also say that i wouldn't take turkey's positioning as some sort of really altruistic exclusively noble we stand with our brothers kind of approach oh, no, of course i really would not take that although that's the way the rhetoric is going right but i'd be entirely skeptical of that mm. because of the fact that if you look at turkey's involvement in particular conflicts um then it's not done on the basis of Islam or on the basis of brotherhood or they're our people mm. or they're not or anything else, right? And they've been involved in various conflicts, right? They've got issues with um, Kurds as well. And Kurds obviously have issues back against Turkey. And mm. it's a very complicated dilemma, but both sides are Muslims. But mm. there is nothing about that Islam bringing them together on, on this particular issue. In Syria, same kind of thing, right? Where many of the forces there, including the ones who are fighting against the Assad regime, were labeled by Ankara as terrorists. Yep. So I wouldn't take their siding with Azerbaijan as being an altruistic demonstration of some kind of brotherhood. Yeah, even though they want to make it, they want to present it yeah, in that yeah. way. But I think it's, 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 I think for me, from a political point of view, it sort of comes back to, pardon me, it comes back to, you know, an issue of energy, yeah. right? Like where you've got um, Moscow sort of waiting and seeing, well, how's this going to go? Because Moscow is not going to accept, especially in a, in a region as tenuous and as, you know, potentially open for conflict as the Caucasus. Yep. And Russia's all over those yeah, issues, yeah, right? Yeah. As it was with Georgia and South Ossetia. Yeah. It's not going to sit there and wait for something to boil over. It's, but it is, it is waiting to see where it's going to lead yeah, right yeah. where is this going to go right because i think moscow's got an uh, moscow's got sort of a an issue with the fact that azerbaijan is trying to reconnect its energy away from gazprom um away from moscow away from russia and mm. move towards turkey 
the fact that pipelines are being established yeah, to yeah. move that energy away and then for america to come and support right um in uh, even if it's in an indirect way to support turkey and say well um russia needs to be careful about its yeah, yeah. local ambitions and its regional ambitions and so forth um but then also um also with armenia i think that the other issue is Russia's not happy with the Armenian president as mm. well. It's had some tension with the new leader who has not been yeah, as yeah. pro-Russia as the previous one. The previous one, he was uh, part of the KGB. He was. So he was like as Russian as you could get. Right. So this one's not as strongly Russian aligned. And there are some commentators that are saying it could even be the fact that, you know, Russia does fund both the Azerbaijan and the Armenian militaries to some extent. They might be controlling the situation to try and... Yeah. You know get some kind of better outcome for themselves right, a, in armenia a quick correction on my part there it was the father of the azerbaijan the current azerbaijan leader who was part of the kgb mm. but i think that leads into something that i also wanted to mention which was that the possible one possible sort of um uh playing card that russia might have here is they've got fairly strong influence in both armenia and Azerbaijan. Mm. So that could be something that tilts things slightly in their favor. Now, obviously, things can go in different directions. And as you mentioned, if the United States is behind Azerbaijan, supporting them in terms of mm. moving uh, their conduits of energy away, um, then that could cause Russia some concern. Mm. But they still do have fairly significant influence in both regions. Absolutely. I so think, maybe that. I think a region a to keep favor. an eye out on in the next couple of weeks and months to see. Are there any new energy deals that are being struck? Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any new political deals that are being struck? Um, and of course, keep an eye out for, um, you know, changes in the political makeup of some of these parties and we'll see um, where this takes us. Inshallah. Um, so let's have a look at the next issue. And the next issue is, I mentioned in the intro, we're looking at the uh, mountainous regions of Northeast Africa. The conflict itself, uh, we're talking about Sudan. Yep. Sorry to be so vague about it in the introduction <laughs> we're talking about sudan and the fact that there was a newspaper article <clears throat> that i read online that said um that islam is no longer a state religion and yeah. i sent it to hums i said bro what do you reckon we let's have a chat about this on the podcast yeah, sounds good and he said yeah it sounds great i'm totally across it <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is something it's, it catches your eye especially i think less the statement itself uh, more how it's been used and abused yeah there's a there's a very specific context yeah. within which Excuse me, this particular declaration um, has been made. And I think it's critical to yeah. look at that. But first of all, let's just like, let's just be straight out here. Them now saying that we are no longer an Islamic country or we no longer have Sharia law or whatever. Yeah. Let's not at all ever in any capacity assume that they were before that. To begin with, of course, <laughs> like, yeah. This declaration is effectively meaningless because they were not Islamic before, they're not Islamic after, yeah. right? They but do, it's symbolic. They do wear a garb of... Yeah, yeah that's the important part. Um, Islamism and and you know being strongly or strictly implementing Islam, yeah. just like you know, and that garb was totally taken off, right? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> left entirely exposed. Left entirely exposed. In the case of Saudi Arabia, <laughs> I was trying to draw a parallel um, between um, between Sudan and Saudi Arabia, both the leaders of whom sort of came out and said, you know. Um, strict implementation of yeah, Islam that's rubbish. and you know with time that really comes sort of flying yeah. off look I think I think that generally Muslims nowadays we everyone realizes that it's all a farce it's all yeah. rubbish right this this sort of um, semantic attachment of the word Islam somewhere in some statement in some constitution yeah. some document is utterly and entirely meaningless 
right? We, we, I think Muslims nowadays, by and large, do recognize that. Yeah. Um, but going beyond those labels and stuff, what's going on? Like, we, we, we should have a think about um, who's who are the players here? Who are they aligned with? All right, let's do that. Um, and let's just have a chat about, maybe I'll, I'll put, put the question to you. You love All doing right. this to me for some reason <laughs> in podcast. Um, there's a couple of names that came that I came across. Yep. Um, there was a... There's the obviously the the, pre, the prime minister himself of yep. Sudan, um, who is Abdullah Hamdouk, um, the head of liberation movement, yep. who is Abdullah Aziz Al Halu, and then there's the transitional uh, council, I think it's called, yeah, yeah. Um, who are aligned with the military, and there's a couple of figures there, Abdul Fattah Al Burhani and Awad Ibn Auf. Maybe just to start us off, give us a little bit of sort of a, a breakdown of no. what's going on there. Um, I'm going to take a step back further yep. because I think it's really important to understand um, like you mentioned like this is a transitional issue here Yep. but what happened before the transition right it was 2019 I think it was July if I'm not mistaken so last mm. year where the strong man of 30 years dictator Omar al-Bashir I think his name was yes Omar al-Bashir that's right um, he in power for 30 years right so he's in that tradition of you know Mubarak and so forth yeah. Mubarak Gaddafi and all them um, he was someone who he wore that garb, right? He wore the. In fact, if you look at pictures of him, he literally wears the Islamic garb, right? Um, but he was someone who paraded Islam as something that they were about Sharia law um, and and uh, sort of um, antagonism against Israel, support mm. for Palestine, mm. all these sort of um, critical Muslim issues, right? That Muslims feel close to. Um, he was someone who was. Outwardly in support Now obviously that doesn't necessarily Not necessarily That doesn't at all mean That it's a reality within government or ruling nope. um, But that's how he positioned things Now he was ousted in a coup um, In 2019 He was deeply unpopular As dictators tend to end up Right um, So he was ousted yep. Coup occurred And then these names that you mentioned Came into play yeah. I think it's kind of reminiscent of Sort of like an Arab Spring yeah, 2.0 yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the first round was sort of like Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, Yemen And then yeah. and then these countries like Algeria and Sudan Are sort of Arab yeah, Spring yeah. 2.0 But um, in very much the tradition of the Arab Spring Change of face yep. Is exactly mm. what occurred Right So um, this guy uh, um, Bashir He was American aligned um, but then the people that came after him, particularly the head of the uh, transitional council, this um, Burhani, he is also very pro-American. Mm. Um, so it's a change of face, but mm. they still support the same. But what mm. is interesting, though, um, is that so before you before you continue, only because you just triggered it when you mentioned a change of face. I remember yeah. with the protest, they sort of said um, the protesters when they were in the streets. Um, they said one of the chants that they were a lot of the chants they said a sharp you read the sculpted Islam they want the downfall of the system but another one of their chants was um, that either victory or Egypt <laughs> they said they said either victory yes, yes, yes. or we're going to end up like Abdul Fattah Sisi yeah, yeah right yeah. so we're not interestingly happy. there was another Abdul Fattah there yeah. was Abdul Burhani, <laughs> but but it wasn't. They weren't happy. They yeah, were. Yeah. I think you know you've seen what's happened in you know it's two point You got to yeah, learn something from one right? Change of face. They don't want that cosmetic yeah. change of face. And and there was another quote that was going around, which was thieves cannot replace thieves. Yeah, right? and so, um, and you know, Subhanallah, this it's not like having those chants there is going to because even I remember when I was in Egypt, this was in the year 
2013, um, there was, I remember seeing a um, slogan written in like permanent marker on one of the walls or on spray painted on one of the walls in um, Tahrir Square. Yep. And it said that, uh, it said, let me just try and recall it. It said, um, Mubarak, sorry, it said, Morsi huwa Mubarak bas which in Egyptian Arabic, I've got the mispronunciation, I've got the pronunciation wrong, but it, it means that um, Morsi is just Mubarak but with a beard, yeah. right? So that idea, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that, and I don't think that that's necessarily the sentiment on the ground in Egypt yep, as yep. well. But there were some elements who did feel yeah. that. But this idea that look, we're not going to be happy with cosmetic change itself yeah. is never enough to sort of, do you know what I mean? But you know what's interesting? Like, warrant that change on the ground. It's it's a very good sentiment, right? Alhamdulillah, it demonstrates that the ummah has some degree of awareness and is not satisfied with that just change of face, right? Yeah. However. It's the power brokers at the end of the day that yep. make the decision that make things happen, yep. right? And so we end up with another American man in transitional power, at least, yep. in Sudan. Um, but interestingly, his own prime minister, this uh, Hamdouk, I think it's yep. pronounced... Abdullah Hamdouk, yeah. yeah. He, uh, I he, say it like I'm Sudanese. <laughs> I'm a quarter, one, one quarter Sudanese. He is more aligned with European powers, it appears. Um, and he's been sort of getting delegations from Germany and from mm. other European nations. Um, and they seem to be trying to get cozy with him, yeah. trying to have some say. So it seems like there is some... like As was Trump, because Trump visited as well. I remember there yeah. were protests when Trump was visiting so, as well. But So this is the interesting thing, right? You've got this prime minister yep. who was actually educated, I think, in Manchester. He's right. got some qualifications in Manchester. So he's got some alignment to Europe. And then you got the head of the transitional caliph, which is a military, who is more aligned with America. Right. Right. Now, there's naturally going to be some contestation there. Mm -hmm. So much so, and this was really, really interesting, that the prime minister, our Europe-aligned friend, not friend at all, uh, he actually said, we need to reduce the funding for the military mm -hmm. because we need to take money away from the military bring it back to the economic side of things, help to revitalize the economy, too much poverty, this and that. But you can see how, once you know that, okay, Europe's got this bloke, America's got this bloke, and now this guy's saying, take money away from them, it just demonstrates that there's trying to be some shifts and some plays. But at this stage, it appears as though um, America's got the upper hand because that transitional mm. council's in place. But I think we've kind of strayed from the actual issue which is not, 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 not so much because there's a couple of important talking points to take away from that number one which was you know this point about how we've had for the last 10-15 years we've seen this idea of cosmetic change um, and it's it's pretty much how all of the Arab Spring yeah. maybe barring Tunisia maybe mm -hmm. although it's not like that was significantly better anyway but all of the countries that apparently went through the Arab Spring all went through cosmetic changes yeah, yeah, all of them right so it's not enough we've got it i think it's a takeaway point i think it's a good one is that we can't be satisfied with cosmetic change like that's got to be sort of like a, a yeah. in principle point to take away from indeed, it indeed indeed but um let me uh ask something mm. now because mm. that's just what i do apparently. sure thing um but so in this context now I think you were originally going to ask me the question, but that's now cool. I've just gone flipped it on. Go you, on, go on. Now we've mentioned the names, right? The ones you were talking about. Not all of them, but maybe you can fill in the blanks there. Um, but where does the getting rid of Islam as a official state religion, where does this 
come into it? Look, I think to answer that, right? Like, like you said, um, Amr al Bashir. I think he was his name was. He was seen as a sort of hardline yeah, Islamist, yeah. right? Uh, and he had his supporters on the ground. And even now, where the transition talk of transitions happening, if it's held in particular um, um, council meetings, then you have people who support the Islamic yeah. sentiment will come up and sort of heckle those um, council yeah, meetings sure. and so forth. And so there's that tension between, you know, Sudan sort of moving towards a religious and a strongly Islamic um, direction. Um, which I think the people in power abuse, mm. right? And they sort yeah. of play on those sentiments, which yep, is where because yep. Omar al Bashir is not like his yeah, Islamic, it's not like he's a genuine, or, legit Islamic right? Like since he's right, Islamic or, yeah. leader or anything. Um, and then there's the there, there are other voices in the country which are saying we don't want to see um, this nation move towards yeah. right an Islamic sort of ideal scenario. But within that, with the way he's trying to posture himself as an Islamic leader, you know. And I think the reason he did that is because he finds um, agreement for this yeah, and sentiment support, for this yeah. on the ground. Sentiment for things like, you know, the fact that Israel is an illegitimate yeah, yeah, state. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Amongst other things. But that becomes a talking point, for sure. given everything else that's happening on the ground, right? That Israel is an illegitimate state. Now, this guy, right, he comes out and he goes, number one, um, we no longer have Omar al-Bashir now, right? I just want to talk a little bit about how that happened. This guy, the, the, the foreign minister, Awad ibn Auf, comes to power, right? He arrests his own boss and he says, you know, I'm the new guy, so get used to me. And 30 hours later, he says, no, oops, not me. This guy's the new guy. And he points to <laughs> the head of the military, right? Which is, um, right, as in the military takes c control. Um, and so there's that tension there. And I think... All of a sudden, the shift you see is between someone who was strongly anti-Israel, yeah. someone who was strongly anti-intervention um, anti from America, yeah. to someone now who is just pro-US, yep, yep, yep. pro-Israel, pro-normalization with Israel, um, pro-we-don't-need-Islam-as-a-state-religion yeah. anymore, right? So I think do away with the, the way people and media are using it and you sort of get to the core of the issue when you think about how drastically did these changes take place but overnight. Let me just chuck in two quick points here, mm. um, which is one, public opinion, and two, let's talk a little about the Israel thing. Sure. And actually, let me chuck in a third point, which is state, uh, state sponsors of terrorism. One, public opinion. You're absolutely right. Like you got this now big change, but I, I don't think they, could, they couldn't come out straight off the bat and go guns blazing in the opposite direction because mm. that's just that's just public opinion suicide, right? Mm. Couldn't do that, so they needed to embed themselves a little. They needed to sort of give justifications and so forth. And that's where these there, there was you know the coup that occurred against Omar al Bashir. He was being fought by rebel groups, right? Mm. And they didn't like this Islamic garb that he had, <clears throat> so they had demands. And part of those demands were to remove Islam from any aspect of ruling government, so not that it was there anyway, yep. but that's what they demanded. And so now this transitional council can come in sort and of satisfy the their say, yeah, conditions. Absolutely. Mm. They can satisfy that. And that, for them, what they sell it as is part of a peacemaking process. Yep, right? Absolutely. We can give in to these demands and we can move along to peace and so forth. And then these groups have now pushed further. And this is where America comes more significantly into play, mm. which is Israel. Well, we seem to be talking about Israel, but that's, I, I would say, because of Trump upcoming election, he wants to have some big moves in the international arena. 
As part the, of his deal of the century. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the uh, UAE-Israel deal was a massive one. Bahrain mm. as well. And Sudan is big time on the cards, right? Mm. If you're going to secure another nation that under Omar al-Bashir was vocally and staunchly anti-Israel. If you can get them to change their stripes and now accept mm. and legitimize the existence of Israel, that's a huge victory. Mm. And so they are strongly, strongly pushing for this government to accept it. So mm. get rid of Islam. Accept Israel. And then the third point was removing them. America's actually made it a condition now in Sudan yep. that if you want to be removed from the list of state sponsors of terrorism, mm. you need to accept Israel. Now, that's huge. Why? Because if you're on that list, state sponsors of terrorism, sanctions. Straight mm. off the bat, you've got massive sanctions. Absolutely. And Sudan is economically suffering because of that. Mm. Right? They. If they're off that list, which is what these opposition groups want, and what arguably the Transitional Council wants as well, mm. if they're off that list, billions of dollars can flood, flood into Sudan, mm. right? And that can really assist in terms yeah. of what they'd want to achieve. So it, it, so it sounds like there's like America sort of sits there thinking we can try and chip away, right? And try and kill three or four birds with the one stone yeah right yeah. get like three or four birds with the one stone and pretty big use the fact and, and yeah and, and good points like um good sort of maneuvering on the part of america yeah. um insofar as their political maneuvering is concerned they they are using the fact that sudan is not in a position to like beggars can't be choosers yeah, exactly. when it comes to their economic situation force them to therefore agree to certain demands on the parts of the rebels um, in so far as removing Islam as a state-based religion is concerned, and you satisfy that political maneuvering part, right? You got the politics sorted, but then also there's a wider there's a wider issue that America is working on in the Middle East, North Africa, which yeah. is you got the UAE to recognize Israel. You yep, got yep. other countries lined up like Bahrain throwing their support behind them, um, and you got U.S. elections. And you want to say big time, you know. He comes up in front of Biden and he can come out in this yep. debate and he can say, you know what? I'm, I'm creating peace in the Middle I'm East. I'm actually creating that um, myth, that fantasy yeah, of peace in the Middle no East. That no one's I've been, been able to do. And I've got some major cards up my, you know, up my sleeve. So he pulls out those cards and I think he's sort of, that's the third bird, yeah, right? Significantly strengthens the one position. Um, so he's managing his sort of um, look domestically. Yeah, yeah, um, sure, he's sorting sure. out uh, America, not him, but America sort of considering its issues as uh, in the region of Middle East and North Africa, Big but time. then also sort of stemming the tide of Islam. 100%. Right? They come hand in hand. They, they do. And, and I think these are some of the issues to consider with, yeah. with the Sudan issue. 100%. Um, but um, I think yeah. uh, we've covered it fairly sufficiently. Those are the main talking points. Yeah. Um, I think we've hit the main points that we wanted mm. to um and i think it's it's an important issue to keep an eye on just yeah. to keep it like both Same of these with, issues are yeah, absolutely th for me they look like slow burn issues they are right it's not like well azerbaijan armenia it did erupt quickly but i think it's gonna it's gonna linger for something we'll see where it goes we will and similar with sudan right mm. it's been an ongoing issue right they've had many conflicts in the past yeah. as well but it's a slow burn issue it's going to keep going and it'll be very interesting to see where it continues yep. no, to and, and our point is that um um, have have your eye out on these two issues. We did bring them to your attention because we thought it's 
one thing that doesn't get covered as much as it should in some of the community discussions and maybe this can spark some conversation somewhere and it would be good um, we might leave it at that um, unless you had something to add to that um, and uh, look guys if you had something that you, you feel that we should talk about or that you think as a community we should talk about and maybe we can get that conversation going as well feel free to let us know on our Facebook page or our Instagram page yep. you can access us type in the convert it will come up um, and um, we always welcome your your thoughts your feedback your comments inshallah let us know if you have anything uh, for us and we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there khair. I think we can leave it at that we can Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh see you guys uh, on the next episode Assalamualaikum